I can consider a game the most accessible thing I ever played, someone else is going to be like, I can't even start it. But the fact that, that a lot of the massive, massive outlets are only interested in one voice mm-hmm. or, or one sort of voice mm-hmm. is problematic. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss one of the games that made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host Spencer, pronouns they, them. We got a quick request for our listeners this week. Uh, hey, you, hi, are you a listener? Are you listening right now to right this podcast? Now. Right now, right this second? We want to know who you are. Uh, so take a screenshot of your podcast player with us playing uh, and post it or share it to your stories on Instagram uh, and tag us so we can share it too and say hi. We'd love to say hi to you. Uh, it'll be fun. Uh, it'll just take a second. And uh, yeah, we'd love it if you could do that. If you can, uh, you could even do it right now mm-hmm. if you want while I'm talking about it. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, <laughs> no pressure, though, because uh, this is Pixel Therapy, where we want you to just pull up an armchair. Feel free to lie down on your couch. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about our feelings. Spencer, what are you playing? I am playing Hades on the Switch. I know I'm late to the Hades train. But, uh, I don't know. You're not that late, right? <laughs> it didn't come out that long ago. I mean, technically, it came out at the end of 2019, uh, 2018, but like, I feel like but time... on PC. Oh, right. It's like new to the Switch, right? And also, like, what came out was the uh, the early access. Mm. Like, it, it wasn't the final version just came out in September. Okay. Then I'm so not, you're not that, that late. late. <laughs> you're not that late. Although, I have to say, like, I found that there's something about it. I have to play it handheld. Like it feels like a game to me that just really feels good to play in my hands. I guess because like it, I feel that way about all of the um, super giant games in a way. Like Mm. they're just so intricately, there's such a level of detail uh, Mm -hmm. and that sort of isometric uh, art style. Um, I just want my face to be really close to the screen so I can take it all in. Um, uh-huh. And the kind of like very, I, I know it's described as a, a roguelike dungeon crawler, um, which normally isn't my cup of tea. Like I get kind of stressed yeah. out in those kind of situations. But same. Um, I think that's probably the reason why I and so many other people, I'm sure, I love this game is because um, it, it is that, but it also is set up in a way that encourages you to try again and try again and, and rewards you for your perseverance. Um, and I love the way that it's set up. Like the more you play, the more you realize, oh, there actually is a very rich story here. Um, and I personally have heard that there's some very queer romance options that become available to you. So I'm very excited to meet my future husband. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta get get and give that nectar. And just oh yeah, that nectar. And just to uh for people who have not heard of this game, I realize I should sort of preface it, but um you are Zagreus the son of Hades, the very naughty son of Hades. And you are currently intent on fighting your way out of the underworld. Um, and Hades is pretty certain that that's not going to happen for you, which he very uh, 
haughtily likes to remind you every time that you come back home. But essentially, um, there's a window uh, out of the Katie's castle that you use to escape and you try to fight your way through the shifting labyrinth of the underworld to make it to the surface. Um, and you are a god, so you can't really die. Um, but every time that you are slain uh, in your attempt to escape, you uh, you revive back home uh, with old dad. Um, and there's a whole cast of characters that you begin to learn about this whole, you know, this whole family of gods within the uh, arcana of the sort of Greek uh, like god and demigod uh, family tree. Um, Mm -hmm. And so at first, yeah, you think it's one thing, but then it very quickly asserts itself to be uh, this very cool unfolding story. Um, And and it's so stylized, of course, super giant, incredible music. Um, Mm -hmm. Voice acting is rich and luscious. Oh my gosh. You ever had a crush on a voice? (laughs) (laughs) I have. (laughs) Multiple times. All of their games. (laughs) Yeah. You ever had a crush on a sword? I have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're just, everything about their games feels like it, it is hand-drawn art, but the entire game just feels handcrafted mm-hmm. in in a really, um, it's like, yeah, such like a bespoke, like tailored experience. Everything yeah. just feels placed just so. Even in a roguelite where there's all of this, uh, you know, every, there's a lot that's randomly generated. Um, it still feels like all very carefully and, and lovingly placed and so much attention to the detail of the characters and the world and the mm-hmm. art and the music. And it all just comes together in this experience that's like, that's wholly super giant. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, this, um, there was something that I was thinking about, like this whole existence of, um, the God mode in the game. So there's this setting that you can turn on where if you get killed, um, it actually makes you a little bit stronger. And so cumulatively, if you keep trying and keep dying, um, like it only makes you stronger and able to experience more of the story. And I just feel like it is set up for a way that even if you're someone who's not into like this type of action game, you're still able to enjoy the music and the art and the story and the relationships and the characters and the the surprising emotional moments and beats that um, you might not have the patience or the stamina to otherwise get through. Like, like I like how it says that like, you don't have to be someone who's really good at this type of game to be someone who can play this game. Like it almost is kind of like breaking down that kind of barrier for someone who may not be like a quote unquote gamer. Like if I'm being kind of romantic about it. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So are you playing with God Mode turned on? I did turn it on last night because I started getting sad. I, I don't know. I take it very personally when I die. Like, mm-hmm. I, the game sort of tells you, like, hey, you're a god. Like, dying's not a big deal down here. Like, you're in the mm-hmm. underworld. Like, it's all good. And I'm like, no, it's not good. Like, I failed and I keep failing because I suck. Well, and it's it's actively dying is like actively how you progress the story with the characters because every time you die, you return to the house of Hades, and all of the characters in the game are there, and they all have new dialogue prompts now, so you can mm-hmm. advance the story with them and talk to them and learn something new about them. 
So it's it's certainly meant to feel like a reward, but I can't I can't get out of my head about it. I still get pissed when I die, especially if I had like a long run and got far, and then it's yeah. just uh, fuck. Right, because you have to. I don't know if we explicitly said this, but every time you die, you have to start over at the very beginning. Like you're in your bedroom again, you jump out the window and you're back at square one. And you're, it doesn't matter if you've gotten through five or 50 chambers, like you're back right there at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and normally that's something, that's a mechanic that would drive me away. Like I'd be like, oh no, yeah. that sounds like hell. I mean, you are in hell. It is personal <laughs> hell. Um, but how it sort of turns that into something to pursue like I just really love what this game has done with that Mm -hmm. yeah I agree with that and I did uh earlier this week I did complete a run Mm -hmm. and I'm excited for you to get there so we can talk more about I don't want to spoil it I do think it would be a spoiler to talk about how what happens when you actually complete a run and you reach the it's the end of the game I'm Uh hearing quotes but it's not it's not (gasps) the end of the game because the game wants you to continue running and continue doing it so it it is really interesting how they set that up and I've I've tried a lot of roguelites and this is the only one that has gotten me to like actually stick with it and not just get frustrated because I do hate feeling like I'm not making any sort of real progress Mm -hmm. and that is what roguelites tend to do is like oh, you fucked up. Guess it's back to square one for you. But mm-hmm. the game does, like, you're collecting resources that you, you get to keep pretty much all of the resources. There's only one resource that disappears when you die. It's coins, which you can just use to buy um, items and upgrades while you're uh, do- doing a run. Mm. Those items and upgrades disappear, but the you get to keep this resource called darkness, which you go spend that uh, gives you different stat increases. You get to keep gems that you can use to add different rooms and chambers to the runs that you're doing. So there's all the nectar that you can use to advance relationships with characters. Um, And eventually there's, there's other things that you get to, but um, yeah, it does still allow you to keep building upon what you're doing. And so you never feel like you're, back to square one yes you're going to have to go fight through all of the chambers again but you're not starting from scratch every time you're getting a little bit stronger a little bit better you're learning the enemy patterns um and you you just keep going you just keep uh you know beating your head against that wall yeah it gets easier every time and it's not even like you said like it's not even the same fight every time like like each the gods from mount olympus will come down and grant you favors, grant you different powers. So depending on who's available to help you that run or what weapon you're using, like it can be a totally different experience. Uh, oh yeah. Time. And, and like even the, the run that I completed, I really feel like I only, I'm definitely getting better at the game, but I don't think I would have completed it as quickly as I did if I hadn't just had this weird build where mm. I had um, this really powerful boon is what they're called from Demeter on my cast mm. and it just sent out these like ice uh, flows and it was combined with a power from Poseidon that like pushed enemies back. And like, I was able to just spam that and control the entire battlefield. And without that, I don't think I would have, I would have completed it. So it's, there's a little bit of like dice roll mm. in there too, in terms of what you're going to pick up and then how you can kind of uh, tweak your combat style to fit what you've managed to pick up. So. Mm. So in addition to Hades, what else uh, have you been playing? Uh, Yeah, so this week I also picked up this game called Raji, Mm. uh, which is a really interesting little independent game. Um, It came out first uh, on Switch, 
And it came out in August of this year. And then just a couple weeks ago, uh, on October 15th, it came out on everything else, uh, you know, uh, PS4, uh, Xbox, cons- or uh, PC, all that good stuff. Cool. Uh, really interesting little indie game. It's made by a team of 13 people uh, based in Pune, India. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the the art style of the game is is really, really interesting. It almost has like this oil painting-esque uh, feel to it. It's oh, very wow. detailed. Yeah. Um, and it's all set amidst uh, medieval Indian architecture. And the story features characters and designs pulled from Hindu and Balinese mythology. And it's it's definitely not a perfect game by any stretch. There's a lot of stuff that just kind of needs tweaking. The combat is a little slow and muddled than like the mm. The button presses don't always register. Like I'll be trying to shoot my bow and like no Mm. arrow will come out and then I'll get dead. That aspect of it can be a little frustrating, but I think a lot of that just has to do with um, this being the first game from this development team and then being such a small crew. But I, when I looked it up uh, after playing it for a little bit, I was frankly shocked that it was made by only 13 people. It's an incredibly like rich detailed world that they've built. Um, And uh, one of the, I mean, the main reason that I'm so intrigued by it is just like I feel like we don't see um, Hindu mythology portrayed in pop culture very often, or at least I haven't seen mm-hmm. it. Um, especially a game that's like certainly made to be consumed by a Western audience as well. Um, and in the game, you play as uh, this young girl Raji, whose uh, bro- younger brother is kidnapped by demons. Mm. And so you, uh, you're off to save him and you're being uh, helped by uh, some Hindu gods who are giving you powers, Uh, not dissimilar to Hades, except this one isn't a roguelike. This is an action adventure kind of 3d isometric. Um, It's got fighting, it's got puzzles, it's got platforming. Uh, It's just a really cute, interesting little game. And I'm, I'm really interested to see what comes next from these developers um because as i was reading more about them uh i learned that india there's a lot of game development that happens in india but a lot Mm. of it is um western companies outsourcing things Mm. to indian companies and not a lot of grassroots indian development that Mm. happens so the fact that the game even got made actually i saw this uh quote from one of the co-founders mm. um this guy uh at, i'm gonna probably butcher his name a little bit avikal singh mm. uh in a european in or sorry euro gamer interview from december 2017 he said this is not just a game for us we wanted to set an example because india is predominantly looked upon in the west as a source of cheap outsourcing and call centers everyone on the team wanted to make a difference and we've given everything monetarily and emotionally as an indie indian studio we have gone through a year of struggle, struggle to make sure that this project sees the light of day. We truly believe that Indian and Balinese mythology has a richness of knowledge and storytelling, which is relatively untapped and unexplored. Since the games industry is still very new in India, we've had no help from the government, from banks or investors. Hence, to sustain ourselves throughout these 12 months, we've had to pool our savings, sell an apartment and take out personal loans from our families. Literally wow. blood, sweat and tears have been shed. Mm. So this, this small team really... They put a lot into this game, and I think it, it's definitely been getting praise. The, the Metacritic is a little mixed, and mm-hmm. I do think that's because some of that the like technical issues with the game that I mentioned before, but I think it's worth people's time. Mm-hmm. And I just love to see more games exploring different types of mythology. I mean, I, I, I love mythology, but when I think about it, like 
we've been so overexposed exposed to Norse and Greek mythology mm-hmm. in pop culture, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of other rich mythologies out there that we don't get to see very often. So it's just been cool to explore that and explore that world and to see it um, created by Indian developers and mm-hmm. with Indian characters. You know, I think of like a lot of times the only way we've seen those kind of worlds portrayed is through games like Tomb Raider and Uncharted, where it's a white person going into those spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just really cool to see it come from those folks and represent their you know they're representing their own culture and the characters are from that culture and yeah that's all really cool yeah like exactly what you said like i i think we've been conditioned to when you think of a quote-unquote fantasy game to immediately think of a european uh mythology Mm -hmm. like all the big titles from the witcher to god of war to even like hellblade uh i mean even like um what was Horizon Zero Dawn still like a white uh, culture? Uh, it's kind of like this nomadic uh, uh, European with strange indigenous uh, appropriations sprinkled in among there. Um, but still, like this idea that it has to be translated through a white experience or white gaze, like it's like you said, it's awesome to see um, uh games like this authentic to the culture that it that it comes from um and just to kind of add on to the significance of this game i actually just read that it was the first indian made game to be featured uh on the nintendo direct stream which is a pretty cool achievement oh awesome yeah Yeah. i know and they kind of like it was i know it was a surprise it was it um it was it got announced for switch at the same uh um what the hell is it that Nintendo does? They do these little like indie nin, Nindie directs. I think so they mm. call them Nindies and I but Nindies. I you, this, they've been doing this for like a year now. This is what they're calling them. I think they've already workshopped it. They're happy with it. <laughs> so yeah, they did. They did this little Nindies presentation where they release a video of trailers of indie games, and that was where I saw Spirit Fair. That was where they announced Hades was coming mm. to Switch. And Raji was one of the games in that mix and people were kind of like, whoa, what's this? This looks so cool. And uh, yeah, now it's on PlayStation. That's where I've been playing it. But um, nice. yeah, just a really, really cool game and it's getting some attention and I think it's well-deserved. Yeah. And, you know, before we move on to our very exciting guests, like one more thing that I really loved reading about Raji is that um, even the English voiceovers for the goddess Durga um, are delivered, you know, in English with an Indian accent. And there's no sort of apologizing for the fact that English is not, nor should it be expected to be, you know, anyone's first language and also just staying true to the Indian roots um, of this, of these characters and this world. And um, that was something that I thought was cool about Ghost of Tsushima too, is the sort Mm -hmm. of unapologetic, you know, accented voices because this is the story that we're telling. And um, that was just another thing that I thought was really neat. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's very cool. Uh, And you know what else is very cool? (laughs) Our interview with Courtney Craven that we're bringing you today. Uh, Courtney is the founder and editor-in-chief of Can I Play That? Can I Play That is a game accessibility uh, resource for both players and developers. Um, They write articles uh, and reviews about games. Um, They also offer commentary, opinion pieces from disabled gamers, helpful accessibility guides, um, and a community soapbox feature where you can get to know members of the community. 
the conversation. And, oh, no, go yeah. Ahead. I just, I just think can I play that is so cool because they've really grown into this resource for game developers to sort of like, you know, make sure that they are designing inclusively. Um, and I think it's just really awesome to see the way that CIPT has has carved this really important space for this conversa- conversation um, in the video gaming industry. Yeah, I agree 100%. And the conversation that we had with Courtney was especially uh, interesting to me. Uh, because so much of it's centered on the importance of having multiple perspectives, mm-hmm. even within different identities that you're uh, pursuing having a perspective from. We talked a lot about how um, how mainstream media tends to look for one quote unquote other perspective mm-hmm. and thinks that that's enough and closes the book and and doesn't uh, recognize the fact that no identity is a monolith and that no um, two people, regardless of what identities they may share, may have the same perspective. Um, And so it was a really rich conversation about the importance of bringing in diverse perspectives. Um, Yeah. And like, it definitely gets a little spicy in the interview. (laughs) Um, But for me as a a trans person and to be able to talk to another Gender queer person who's like in this space and and can relate to how I experience games um, was just this really powerful moment of connection that I'm just really grateful that we had this opportunity to have. Um, so enough of us talking very vaguely high level about this interview. Let's just get right to it. Um, we are so excited to bring you this conversation with Courtney. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us in the virtual Pixel Therapy Studio. We're so happy to be sharing space with you today. I'm glad to be here. For folks who may not know you um, or may not be or may not be familiar with your work, uh, we'd love if you could first let us know your pronouns okay. and then um, maybe say a little bit about how you've been spending your time um, and specifically the work you do with Can I Play That? Sure. Um, I don't really have pronouns to speak of, I don't have a preference, uh, mm. but I usually default to they, them just for ease of use. And, mm. you know, you got to have something. So Utility, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I am the founder and editor-in-chief of Can I Play That?, which is a media slash news outlet for all things video game accessibility. We started as a hub for disabled gamers to be able to learn about whether or not they're going to, like the name says, be able to play a game because so often you will spend 60 or, you know, going into next gen $70 on a game without any uh, accessibility info available. Mm -hmm. And that's starting to change, but still not quite, still not to the point where we're irrelevant. So, uh, Mm -hmm. and then from there we grew into a kind of a knowledge base for developers. Too. We have a lot of developers that learn from both our guides and our reviews. Awesome, awesome. And yeah, how has the the Can I Play That community sort of evolved since you started in 2018? Like, oh it, it seems God. like you've really <laughs> been just growing exponentially. And yeah. um, you know, where do you kind of do you have plans for where you hope to take it in the future? We do. Yeah, we are in the process early days of trying to apply for grants so that we can become a full actual 
organization that pays people because right now we're we're all volunteer because mm-hmm. we're sustained by our our patreon and um that's not always the most lucrative method so yeah mm-hmm. we are going through this the stages of becoming first a company we're not sure an llc or a nonprofit. we haven't quite decided mm-hmm. yet and then from there we're going to be applying for grants to hopefully become the ign of game accessibility yes yeah Hey, the IGN will be the non-accessible version of Can I Play That? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. So we'll definitely come back to talk more about CIPT, but sure. I'd love to talk about you for a bit. Um, okay. Like, What's your personal history with gaming? Have you always identified as a gamer? Do you I identify have- as a gamer? <laughs> Um, I, I suppose I do. I mean, it's it's one of those words that just has so much toxicity around it that it's mm. hard to want to claim it all the time, you know? Yes. But um, I, I spend the majority of my free time playing games. I'm very bad at them, <laughs> but I enjoy them. So, uh, yeah, I guess I would say that I am a gamer. And uh, I actually I, I played video games when I was a kid back in the 80s, early 90s took like a 20 year break from end of high school till I got my partner, a console, the Xbox one. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think it was the original, the, the first Xbox one, no letters or whatever. The Xbox, um, not to be confused right. <laughs> with the Xbox one. <laughs> yeah. Back in 2014 when that had just launched and that so I kind of picked it up again there awesome. after after a twenty year break of of mostly being into games like the original Sims back in mm. nine two thousand where queer culture and gaming was born exactly. some might say <laughs> <laughs> well, that was like a little hideout for me right because I yes. I grew up in a small town my family was mm-hmm. not accepting so you can bet I had some gay Sims yes. they were. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it's so yeah, it's so validating to just hear you say that just because yeah, like I didn't know I didn't quite know what a woohoo what what was happening in there, but it was validating in some way and it right. made it. I do believe the Sims laid groundwork for me to later without any trans people or trans accepting people around me to mm-hmm. be like Maybe this is a thing because the Sims are doing it and they're supposed to be people. (laughs) You know, I I do want to come back to something you said a couple minutes ago, which was that you are bad at games, Mm -hmm. but you love them. And I think that what you were saying, too, about the toxicity in that label of gamer, like this idea of really all that a game requires is that you enjoy it, that you interact with it and that you get something out of that interaction. This idea of some people are good at them and some people are bad is like such a (laughs) shitty byproduct of this gaming culture. And I I just want to like, you're a great gamer because you are a gamer (laughs) (laughs) to anyone listening to this podcast. Well, and you know, that's, that's part of a, a large part of accessibility work. I think, both Cherry Thompson and Steve Saylor have talked about their realization that they weren't failing at games. Games were failing them because Mm -hmm. they simply weren't giving them what they needed to be good at them. And 
And I think it's about 50, 50 for me. There's some things that I just suck at mm. and that's fine, but, <laughs> right. but you know, so yeah, I, it, yeah, the, the, the get good narrative needs to just die already. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. just, it's the most unwelcoming thing ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a barrier to such a rich world. Worlds, I, I mean, games. Uh, uh, I mean, we'll get more into that. But I wanted to t- touch on one more thing around the the sort of stigma around and unwelcomingness, toxicity around gaming. Um, I saw a tweet, I think, from this morning, where you had mentioned um, changing the heart and mind of a parent who believes that like all games games turn kids' brains to mush. Um, I'd love it if maybe you could just share a little bit about that and, and like, what are some misconceptions about games that you want to shift in people? Sure. Um, I, I see a lot in, I, I live in a, in a neighborhood that's very parent heavy mm-hmm. and, and there seems to be at least with the, the middle-class white parents is, Oh, get the kids away from the screens. They're poison. They're bad. Put them outside. Let them learn how to camp. And it's just, <laughs> while that's all well and good you know great yes learn outdoor skills realize how limiting that is you know there's so much that you can learn from games that kids can learn from games because there is especially in a lot of games that that kids like like Fortnite, Mm -hmm. it requires cooperation and communication teamwork you know you have to build your forts in Fortnite. And you might not always agree on how they should be built. I know that's an issue for me. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think that a lot of parents that, that might not play games themselves, just they think of games as they were maybe back in the nineties when they were, you know, mm-hmm. the fighters or the simplistic. And I don't want to say simplistic, but there was less mm-hmm. to them. You know, mm-hmm. there, was, mm-hmm. there was less rich story, less, cognitive requirement for like Mario. Yes. There is for today's games, right? Yeah. Like when you say that, I was thinking of um, when you say the, there's more to them. Um, I was reading a, a thread on uh, ask Reddit <laughs> the other day and it was about what was the first game that to you was a piece of art, not just something to do for fun. And someone mm-hmm. brought up Papers, Please um, from 2013. Yeah. Um, and they said, up until that point, all I knew in games was like point gun and shoot. All I knew in right. game was shoot until not being shot at anymore. This was the first game where I felt like the decisions I was making had a real effect on a real world. And it, and it stuck with me like long after I put it down. And um, that just... And again, papers, please. It's it's like an eight bit, like mostly text based, like very simple, quote unquote, um, game. But what it's doing is, is so much more than that, working on so many levels. Um, I'm just like totally hearing you what you're saying about um, how these games can operate on us. Ton of shifting a bit. I um, I was reading your back from July, um, the article that you'd written about Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd love to read a short, uh, just a couple of sentences from it, um, just sure. to contextualize this next question. Um, but I really love this piece where you say, 
Uh, I am very much an introvert and I adore my solitude. So it caught me off guard when I realized how very much I missed people and connecting with them. And just for more context, um, this is um, a gay, uh, article that was written during, you know, this pandemic lockdown situation that we've been in uh, here in the U.S. Um, so I've, I miss people and connecting with them. One of the things that delights me living in the area I do, where my rainbow mohawk is complimented instead of stared at, and I am accepted and welcomed, is the conversations with perfect strangers I used to have every day when out walking my dog. One might think the solution would be to play social games with a voice chat, connect with people that way. But given that I'm hard of hearing and a queer trans person, well, I'd rather eat glass than have to resort to voice chat with strangers over the internet. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was like so refreshing to have someone perfectly put into words how exhausting it can be to just be perceived when you're a trans person online sometimes and just in the world, in the real world too. Um, So thank you, first of all, um, just because... I think you're you're the only one of uh like I can count on the fingers of one hand like the trans games writers that are out there like putting into words like things that I'm thinking but don't know how to place because there's no one else to talk to about it with. Thank you. Um, but I'd love to hear from you. Um, there's a beautiful article on Red Dead Redemption Two that folks should definitely look up on. Can I play that? And is it it's Can I play that dot com right? Right. Yes. Or can I play that dot gay? We have that. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm bookmarking that one just on principle. (laughs) Um, But what has your relationship with gaming been like during this time of isolation of lockdown? Um, Like what's that been like for you? Um, You know, it's, it's kind of been a little bit of a saving grace because, you know, we are so cut off from people and I'm not, majorly social person anyway Mm -hmm. but as i said i i did used to enjoy just stopping being not within shouting distance you know six ten feet away having to yell at each other and try to hear Mm -hmm. but just talking about simple conversational things you know and you you lose that when you have to stay a certain distance from people or when you never know who's okay, is this person not wearing a mask because they just don't care or, Mm. you know, so especially as someone that's chronically ill with lung issues to begin with, there's, it's just not a risk I can take. I can't stand and talk to somebody if they're not taking the same precautions I am, you know? Yes. So it's, it's kind of been a way for me to interact with worlds in place of the way I used to interact before, Mm what was it, March? feels like yeah. it's been forever. But I it's know. all started in March. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good escape. And then and games like Red Dead 2 or, or any open world exploration that you can just kind of take it at your own pace, go, you know, pick the flowers, max out your herbalism skills. I would <laughs> never, like, you would not catch me dead outside <laughs> actually picking flowers from the mm-hmm. ground. But, <laughs> I don't want to get dirty, but, um, to, to be able to do that stuff in games, it's, it's kind of like a meditation, you know, it just, Mm. it's a break from the shooting or the crimes or, Mm. you know, stuff like that. And then again, in that game, Arthur's relationship with his horse, where you can just do the, the, what is it? The left stick click. 
mm-hmm. and you pat your horse and he has <laughs> his little his little lines that's my girl yes and i just i love it so much because not only is it just something that's heartwarming to see it really without really saying anything it challenges that horrible notion of what a masculine cowboy is you know yes yes yeah i've really uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 and Ghost of Tsushima both are standing out in recent memory in terms of sort of taking this uh, masculine archetype, whether it's the American cowboy or the like shogun warrior, samurai, mm-hmm. um, this idea that you can break free from from that and be, you can define masculinity for yourself and sort of men are allowed to feel tenderness. Men are allowed to have emotions just because someone is alone. Doesn't mean that they're an Island onto themselves. Like there's a deep emotional richness within these people. You know, I think if I had had access to something like that when I was younger, I would have been so much happier at such a younger age because it, mm. I laugh about it now, but it's, it's the truth for the majority of my life. I did not believe that I could be transgender because I've always leaned more masculine, but I like fancy soaps and bath products. Those are feminine things, right? So if, yes. if I like those, obviously I can't be transgender because mm. that's a very feminine thing. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's so black and white. So I think if we had more representation of of the spectrum of masculinity, you know, mm-hmm. it, it would make a lot more people feel comfortable with, okay, I, I can have this quote unquote feminine quality yes. and still feel the way I feel. I am, you know. Uh, thank you for saying that. Yes. I speaking of being trans in quarantine, I it's funny just this is sort of touching on some things that have been floating around in my head lately mm-hmm. and one of those things has been um so I've been on testosterone for about 4 years now, but I've never had a desire to like have top surgery or have bottom surgery. And um even what you were saying even before I even was aware of a desire to explore hormones. I grappled for years uh, and was constantly going back and forth between like butch presentation and like this sort of middle ground chapstick yeah. <laughs> queer flannel situation and then going like hyper femme um, because the only people that were attracted to me were cis men who felt like they had some, you know, entitlement to my body. Right. Um, and I also thought because I didn't mind presenting femme or because it didn't hurt that bad when someone she'd me or because I wasn't like, I cry a lot. Um, and I, you know, I don't associate with a lot of the the tenets of cis masculinity. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, then I must not be trans. I must right. be someone who just constantly thinks about trans men and fetishizes them. I thought for so long that I was just like a chaser. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until I was literally in the middle of hooking up with another trans person and I looked down and I had, sorry, TMI, I looked down and I had a strap on on and I just totally like gender euphoria catapulted out of my body into the ceiling that I was like, oh my God, there must, there might be something here. Um, <laughs> and 
really the people I turned to to understand my masculinity were other trans folks. And mm-hmm. um, it didn't matter like what gender they were. Like masculinity is is not tied to any specific parts or any specific like gender. I don't know. I I my concept of all of those things has opened up so much when I've gotten outside of this idea of what our culture, our mainstream, yeah. our media tells us. And like you said, I feel like I I would have been so much happier. I may not have even put myself into so many boxes if I had just yeah. seen more examples of that. Right. Um, sorry to just go off on a tangent, okay. but um, <laughs> it yes, just all the yes. What we do on this podcast is uh, we have folks come in and talk about a game, a specific game that had a big impact on their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the game you told us about was Destiny. In hindsight, I should have picked a different <laughs> game, but I have a good reason for Destiny. So, so before well, we get, I think it was really intriguing that you picked Destiny because I just, I mean. Spencer and I aren't really shooter players in general. And then for Destiny, it's just, it's one of those games that I've heard is like so addicting, but there's not, um, there's not like, you go to these beautiful places and you just shoot things. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. we're really interested to hear your take on it because I'm assuming you're getting more out of it than that. Well, I'm not getting anything out of it. Okay, before we jump into the Destiny discussion, for (laughs) Courtney, for folks who like, if you had to describe this game in a couple sentences to someone who had never heard of it, what would you say? Um, you shoot things with guns that really bounce around a lot. And uh, you get to fly in a ship, but it's all kind of automated for you. You don't control the ship, which is probably uh. good for me because I'm a bad flyer. <laughs> and you get armor, and sometimes you can put cool colors on it. And that is about all I know about Destiny. <laughs> the extent of my knowledge. Okay. Tell us more about Destiny. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the, the reason I chose the game as the one I wanted to talk about was because it was the first barrier that mm. we went back in 2014. I think when did Destiny launch in 2013? 2014 okay. very close yeah so we we had gotten it in september 2014 and you know 60 dollar game my partner was deaf mm. started it up and like 30 minutes into the camp main campaign this was back before it had like 50 different worlds you could visit mm. there was there was the campaign and you did it and that was the game mm. about 30 minutes in there was this part that relied on hearing mm. and my partner was deaf. I, at that point was not really quite into games yet myself. I was into them as listen to this for me. It's not caption what's happening right now. Mm. That was my extent of, of interaction with games at that point. Mm. And at that, it was, it was that game, that section where you have to listen. I think it was the hive. You have to mm. listen so you know when to run from them or whatever. Uh, and that was where the game ended for her because yeah. she kept dying over and over and over because she couldn't hear 
and there were no visual cues. Wow. So that was the game that started my career in games and game accessibility because we, we had that thought, okay, well, certainly we're not the only people that are deaf or hard of hearing in the world. So we certainly can't be the only people that have this problem, right? Mm -hmm. So she took to Twitter. I hated Twitter at that time. <laughs> um, Let me know how you how you uh, got over that because I'm still <laughs> in the hating Twitter phase. <laughs> oh, that was that was kind of by necessity, and then it became like a lifeline, mm. right? Because up until she died, she was the face of the website. She was the go-to mm. person. I was behind the scenes doing the, the writing, the producing of all of our content and that's stuff like that. And that was kind of how I wanted it. I didn't want to interact with anybody. Yeah. It's such a shit show that, you know. Yeah. And then after she died, I found that the people on it that had connected with her were the people that were there to support me when the people in my real life had failed because I was, I was too sad. Okay. Yeah. You, you keep talking about death and how sad you are. I don't want to be around it. So until you can get mm. that together, I think we're going to put a pin in our friendship. Right. Yeah. So Twitter became the only place that I could really talk about it. Mm. And it was amazing how many people like understood, you know, mm. or even if they couldn't understand, they actually genuinely cared clearly more than the people in my face to face life, you know? Yeah. So I, I've met a lot of very good friends that way. And most of them I have not met face to face. I hope to change that one day, but mm. The people that I know on Twitter have become some of my closest friends. Wow. That's incredible. So now it's just, it kind of is my social life, you know? Yeah. 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 I I think what you said about how for people, like people can try to empathize with mm -hmm. what you're going through, whether that is grief, whether that is you know, being a black woman, whether that is being a disabled person, whether that is, you know, being trans um, and being out and not apologetic about that. Right. Um, there are, there's, it feels like there can be this threshold where folks who quote unquote mean well mm -hmm. are just unable to take or think that they can't. I, I just, it's, it's so true what you said. There's just this wall of, yeah. I don't know. Maybe people prefer. Maybe it's. It might be safer or more comfortable to I was, live yeah, in a I was place. Say, I think it's. I think it's a comfort thing. Like, okay, you you can exist up until this point that it makes me start to question mm. my own my own values. You know, you're calling something ableist or transphobic, and what if I've had those thoughts? I'm going to feel called out. So we're not going to talk about that, right? Yes. So instead of having what I've learned is called a growth mindset, if you ever if you ever want to read the best book in the world, Dolly Chug, Chug I, I suck at pronouncing things because I can't mm -hmm. hear them. So even if a name has been said to me like a thousand times, I'm still going to get it wrong. So, <laughs> so, yeah. But her book, The Person You Mean to Be, how... How Good People Overcome Bias, I believe is its mm. subtitle. 
Um, There's so much in there about how to see that that's the kind of person you are and then get past it by accepting that, no, you're not perfect. You're, you're working on it. And here's how you can get better instead of meeting things that make you uncomfortable with defensiveness and, but I'm one of the good ones. Mm. You know? Learning to accept that, yes, you are trying to be one of the good ones. No one is one of the good ones 100% of the time. It's yes. okay as long as you keep trying to do better, right? And it's freeing, honestly. Right. It takes some of the load of responsibility off of your shoulders. Like no one is a, is a looking to you, nor should they, to be the... Um, to be perfect all of the time. And if anything, it allows you to learn more openly and to be more adaptable when you just accept and make peace with the fact that uh, you're never going to reach that. Um, And the book, I just looked it up really quickly. The Person You Mean to Be, How Good People Fight Bias. And that's Dolly, as you said, Cho, C-H-U-G-H. But I'm definitely going to look that one up. Thank you, Courtney. So I'd love to hear more about, so you mentioned how in this journey with your partner, Destiny was bringing up all these roadblocks. You went to Twitter and it kind of sounds like that's how Can I Play That was born. Um, What Did anything come out of those complaints? Like, did you meet other people who were having problems with Destiny? Like, um, yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Not, Not specifically with Destiny, but one of the first people that Susan got to know and then I got to know through that is uh, Chris Robinson, Deaf Gamers TV. Mm. He was he was one of the first and biggest fans of our reviews that we were doing. Um, and from there, it just kind of snowballed, really. There's an ambulance coming up yeah. next to a hospital. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's all good. <laughs> um, but yeah, from there, it just kind of snowballed. And, and we started to realize just how big the community was. Mm. And as we've become bigger and bigger and bigger, the, the most heartwarming thing is seeing how many people want to identify with, can I play that? Because, mm. and, and part of the reason I was so excited to start, can I play that was out of spite mm. because I, I'm a writer. I went to school for it. I have degrees in it. I want to write about my experience. Much of my experience is about lack of accessibility, right? Mm-hmm. I have pitched at least a hundred pieces to various publications about accessibility and barriers and have 100% of the time been told, yeah, there's not enough of a market for that. There's not enough interest. And now I just like to be like, Oh really look at the size <laughs> of this audience, you know, mm-hmm. on a good day, we get a thousand visitors per day that are looking to learn either for their own knowledge or their for, for their own use mm-hmm. about game accessibility. And it, it extends into every industry. You know, I, I've had less luck outside of games just because mm. that's kind of my brand at this point. So mm. it's hard to break into new areas, you know. Um, but yeah, it extends into academia, into publishing, literature, Every single industry has an ableism problem 
Yes. And it's it's kind of this process that people go through. Once they realize it, they either are like, oh, well, it's not my problem. Or mm. they have the positive, oh, I never even realized. You know, and it, it's that reaction is what has brought about so much change in the industry. Mm. Um, that's been the positive interactions we've had with a lot of the both indie studios and AAA studios have been just through reading. Like we didn't even realize that this was a problem. Like we, we put the subtitles in the game just because you're supposed to have subtitles. We never thought that shit, maybe should people should be able to read them. Right. So. Right. <laughs> right. Why are the fonts so small? It's like, don't put the subtitles if no one can read them. And right. they're at four, yeah. four point. <laughs> and they're like yellow. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, you know, it's so much of this conversation is super validating, but um, what you were saying about how when you pitch to places to talk about accessible game accessibility and mm-hmm. the response you get is, oh no, there's just no audience for that. And it's like, well, you have like one article that you've posted in the past six months that mentioned the two words games accessibility. So how do you even know that there's no audience or that the audience is right. just knows not that you don't generate that content like um i i can definitely relate i'm a freelance writer myself and you know um recently uh and this is not 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 at all meant to be a direct comparison but recently uh you know the the game series tell me why Mm -hmm. came out um featuring the first ever playable trans character trans masculine character and um I mean, this never happened before, so I would think that there should be a lot of press about it and media. Um, (laughs) And I cannot tell you how many places I pitched to. um, And actually, I want to shout out Bullet Points because they were the one person to write back to me and be like, this needs to see the light. But we just, unfortunately, it's not part, like they have a very specific kind of writing schedule, but I just want to thank them for that. But so many places wrote back to me just being like, Mm, yeah, we already have a review posted for Tell Me Why. And there was like one trans person that wrote one article about this six months or like two months ago. So mm-hmm. there's like not really like we don't, we think we're, we're saturated in terms of Tell Me Why coverage. And I'm just like, <laughs> I, what? <laughs> and, you know, that speaks to the the overwhelming belief that in the category of other right? Mm-hmm. Anything that's not cis, straight, abled, white, anything that is other, there is one point of view. Like, mm-hmm. how could there ever possibly be different opinions mm. on tell me why? Mm-hmm. Like, the trans people are monolithic. Yeah, We all think the same thing. We all love the game. They're our heroes now. And I hated the game. Mm-hmm. I hated it. I hate it for reasons as well. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I think that there would be some value in exploring, okay, why are there such conflicting opinions on this game, specifically within the trans community, Mm -hmm. right? And it's the same thing for accessibility. We have not always healthy, but debate that, that arises from some of our pieces because it's it's a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. I can consider a game the most accessible thing I ever played. Someone else is going to be like, I can't even start it. 
Yes. How in the hell are you saying this is accessible because I can't do this? And it's, it's not my experience. It's not any less important of an experience. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, that a lot of the massive, massive outlets are only interested in one voice mm-hmm. or, or one sort of voice mm-hmm. is problematic. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when they do want one of our voices, it's only like in a positive context. Mm-hmm. Like they, I've also gotten the feedback that, oh, this, you know, it does not, there's a lot of negativity. Uh, and I'm like, <laughs> trans people can be mad too, you know, like we're not like, it, like the definition of inclusivity is not, oh, we made a game that has a trans character now. So the and stop complaining. Right. It's like, sorry, I shouldn't say the T slur. So that trans people will stop complaining. That's me being a cis white man uh, producer, game <laughs> producer. Um, but you know, we're not here to beg for scraps at the table. We have always been here, and trans people and people of color have built the games that white cis men love to hold up as like their their reasons for existing. And like, you wouldn't have gamer culture without us. So. Right don't act like these crumbs are like that we should be thankful for them. Um, I, I mean, I just, since I, I, I'm just so excited to talk to someone who also has feelings about tell me why I just want to mention that the reason that I have thoughts is that, um, you know, there has not been specifically trans masculine representation in media in any sort of way that is respectful or celebratory of our identity. Like, possibly ever in any sort of mainstream format. I mean, mm-hmm. there's movies that you could say, I mean, portrayed by cis actors, like movies that have come out in the past that are always about violence committed against us. And right. there are trans actors portraying trans masculine characters in TV and, and that's happening more and more now. But, mm-hmm. you know, I just thought that it was shocking and appalling in some ways that the the two first games in 2020 to have trans masculine representation, The Last of Us Two and Tell Me Why, both of those trans masculine characters, uh, whether the game was actually about it or whether that trauma was just used to promote and and raise titillation about the actual story of a game, the fact is that a trans masculine character was used and specifically pitted against and had to violent and was portrayed to kill their mother. Um, And I think that when you talk about butch phobia, when you talk about, you know, the way that many people see trans masculine and butch people as, you know, women who had the audacity to try and be men and how disgusting people, how much hate that, that, that we get for that. I just think that it's incredible that that would be the depiction in, in both of these games and that no one is talking about it. Yeah. Um, so it gets, I get really worked up really quickly about this um, <laughs> just because it's so quickly dismissed because yeah. I think a lot of people assume all trans men must be skinny, white, male passing, you know, like super binary. It's so easy to be trans masculine. And I'm not saying that trans masculine people don't contribute to um, you know, femphobia and like uh, to problematic ideas of masculinity that trans men don't uphold white supremacy, that trans men don't uphold, um, you know, gender inequality. But 
there is not one way to be a trans masculine. And, uh, you know, there is, it's not a monolith either. That's, that's all we've been saying. It's not a monolith. Um, and it's just upsetting that, as you said, Courtney, like we get one story and then we're told like, okay, like, can you just shut up now? Um, (laughs) there's a Ted talk. Um, I can't remember who it is by, but it's called, I believe the danger of the single story. Mm. And it's, it's essentially about what happens, how we come to see any marginalized identity when all we hear is one version of one story told about them over and over and over again. And that that's exactly what you're saying is in both of these massively popular games, the, the main characters have come from these horrible, broken, I murdered my mother home. Mm-hmm. And that's just not accurate. Yes, that happens. Yes, there is a lot of parental abuse and abandonment issues within the trans community, but there's also a lot of support. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't all have these horrible, sad stories. So to, mm-hmm. to have that be the focus and the majority focus is just doing us a disservice. And we're not all trying to kill the women around us or inside of us. To be a trans man, to be a man is not to be violent towards women or to be violent or oppressive towards the femininity inside you. Like, fuck that. I I did not consent to be a part of that narrative. Mm -hmm. And I think that 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 too is just another way that toxic masculinity just seeps into this. Like, I, a trans masculine person can embrace their femininity too. And like, don't put us into that prison of toxic masculinity with you. We didn't ask for it. Right. Um, so damn, this is a great conversation. Um, (laughs) so there was one thing I wanted to, uh, it was one more question I had for you, um, and it was another, um, can I play that article that uh, was pretty recent that released it out to me. And it was by a contributor named Christy Smith. Um, and She's amazing. Amazing article. Amazing, yeah. Um, so uh, Christy, she, her pronouns? Yes. Uh, recently wrote a piece uh, for, can I play that, called Forced Activism Fatigue and Games Accessibility that folks should definitely read. Um, and... You retweeted it, Courtney. It seemed super validating. And I was wondering if, you know, you would care to share more about how this force activism fatigue manifests in your life. Like, what is your experience like navigating that? Um, it's, it's been kind of this weird thing because you're going to get attacked no matter what you do. So I might as well just say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Since we have become kind of the outlet for disabled gamers, we have become the spokesperson for disabled people, Mm. right? We're looked to as the authority. We're looked to as the experience. And it's exhausting because my experience is my experience. Mm -hmm. Like even as a hard of hearing person, my experience in a game is not going to be identical to another hard of hearing person's, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we have a lot of issues, both from other disabled people and from able people, 
other disabled people like to get mad at us because we have an experience that they can't have. Mm. Right. Like the last of us two, um, myself and Steve Saylor both covered that game and we loved it. Right. We, mm absolutely loved it it had everything we had ever wanted to be able to play a game Mm -hmm. and our mobility editor grant he was not like angry at us he's Mm -hmm. grant is awesome i love him but he wrote the perfect counterpoint to how much we loved it because he got the game and couldn't even start it Mm. most accessible game ever but not to him because he can't use a dual shot controller. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing you can use to access Mm -hmm. the game. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's this disconnect between, okay, well you said this was accessible and it's not accessible. So fuck you. Well, it's a spectrum, right? Yeah. Like we're, we're not speaking for everyone. Mm -hmm. And, and you can say the same thing to developers. Like, us giving you a good review while that may be indicative of a good path forward, mm-hmm. because we all, we're all experts in our fields of what we review. It's still not a pass to get out of working with paying other disabled um, play testers, QA testers, you know, mm-hmm. because we cannot speak for all of them, but to the, the point of the, the activism fatigue is it's just exhausting, right? To have to keep asking and asking and asking, okay, can I, can I access this? Mm -hmm. Can I do this? And it's, it's not even just games. It's everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like I would like to take this writing class. Is it captioned? Well, no. Why would it be captioned? Oh, why would a writing class be captioned? (laughs) What? And it's just, that's what you're met with like 90% of the time. Yeah. So if you're constantly told no over and over and over and over again, eventually you're going to be like, you know what? Never mind. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to anymore because I'm sick of being told no. It's defeating. It's disheartening to have to hear that once again, for the millionth time, oh, we didn't even realize that someone like you existed when we were mm-hmm. planning this thing. Right. Mm-hmm. That's where the fatigue come from, comes from, is, is having to both constantly ask for access, constantly work for that access, because we are the experts on it. You know, mm-hmm. disabled people know what we need. Trans people know what we need, right? Mm-hmm. So we're the ones doing the work. We're the ones doing the access. We're the ones always being met with resistance and being told no. And it's exhausting, yeah. right? Yeah. And as someone who, you know, you work in games and in games accessibility, but you also turn to games as a place yeah. to, you know, play and, and escape from day to day. So like, how do you find that balance when you're, you're working and seeking release in like the same place? Do you ever no. have struggled with that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. And, and I, this is something that I've heard people, heard other people that are doing the same work speak mm-hmm. of. It's hard to turn off the, the critique brain, right? Mm-hmm. Like there, there have been games that I've just straight up refused to review because I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I want to continue enjoying it, like Spirit Fair. Yeah, should have yes. reviewed it, 
I didn't want to because I just wanted to enjoy the game. I just mm-hmm. wanted to like it. I didn't want to have to criticize it. And there's so much to criticize that it was yeah. just like, what? I'm going to take a pass. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That resonates. Um, <laughs> specifically, <laughs> Spirit Bear. Um, okay. Courtney, this has been amazing. Um, where can folks find you online? And, and what are you, are you up to anything exciting right now that you want to share? Um, I, I'm starting to dip my toes in waters outside of, of video games with accessibility. Mm. Um, trying, to, trying to bring that can I play that energy of, okay, we're going to fix it ourselves mm-hmm. to uh, literature and publishing and also academia. And I've, I've been very lucky to be able to work with a few brilliant people in those fields. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. Uh, but games are pretty much all I do when I <laughs> when I uh, have the, the free time. And I can be found on my personal website for non-game things at clcraven.com. Um, obviously, I can be found at caniplaythat.com and on Twitter at Cyclopedia Brain. Beautiful. Courtney, um, before we let you go, actually, I wanted to also, I forgot to mention... Um, can I play that is having currently a call for specifically black and indigenous people of color to mm-hmm. submit. Um, did you want to say more about um, that call out and what y'all are looking for? Sure. Um, well, we made the call because, um, <clears throat> excuse me, while we were founded by a woman of color, since she passed away, um, we, we have misstepped somewhere and, and this is one of the things I learned from reading uh, the person you mean to be mm. was we, we weren't actively seeking diverse voices. We took the approach of, okay, well, whoever's going to submit whoever wants to submit to us will submit to us. Right? No, right. <laughs> no, you need to actively seek out the talent that you want your publication, your site, your company, your anything to represent, mm-hmm. you need to look for it. You, you can't take that. Oh, well, we don't, we don't consider race. We're colorblind. We're just going to take whoever we can get. That doesn't work. It hasn't worked so far. Let's stop doing it. Actively seek out the kind of, of representation you want and pay for it. Right. Mm-hmm. So while our goal is to be able to pay all of our contributors, we currently can't because we are not getting a whole ton of money from our Patreon. But mm-hmm. um, we all, our, our editorial staff, we all agreed that our first money for pieces would go to uh, people of color. Awesome. Because that is... A, seriously underrepresented voice, not only at our site, but within the industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we want to improve both ourselves and our, what we represent in the community. So it was important to us to have that initiative and it made some people angry as I'm sure you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Well, now you're being racist. No, no, not. (laughs) No, you're, you're still being racist. The person asked. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that was, um, 
that was the, the why of the decision. And what we're looking for is anything, really, anything that fits in any of our verticals, specifically from people of color, because we are sorely lacking in that important aspect of the disabled experience. Great. Awesome. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us. This has been utterly fantastic. Uh, We've loved having you. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. is up for today's session of pixel therapy thank you for tuning in and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own if you enjoyed this episode we would very much appreciate it if you could rate us and review us on your podcast application of choice it does make a world of difference for a little baby podcast like us if you want to reach out to us with a question an interesting story a guest recommendation whatever you'd like we would love to hear from you you can get us by email at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com, and you can stay up to date on all things Pixel Therapy by following us on Instagram and other social media at pixeltherapypod, or by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Thank you. And finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, um, we like to end every episode with what we call a recommended side quest. This week, um, as we sort of covered in uh, this episode may not be super surprising. We'd love for y'all to take some time to check out Can I Play That? You can find Can I Play That at caniplaythat.com. And uh, as we sort of talked about in this episode, Can I Play That is uh, an accessibility resource. It's a blog. It's a community. Um, it's for players and developers. You'll find accessibility reviews for games, commentary, opinion pieces from disabled gamers, um, guides, and of course, uh, the community soapbox feature, um, where that's where folks can sort of meet each other and get to know other gamers in the space. Um, can I play that right now is specifically looking for more submissions from black and indigenous people of color who are disabled. Um, so please check out caniplaythat.com. Um, um, check out uh, their uh, profiles on Twitter. Um, and uh, if you are someone who identifies as Black or Indigenous and disabled, get in touch. Um, they would love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. Uh, so we hope you'll go forth, maybe run a story mission, level up some stats. Uh, but don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel therapy. therapy. Yay. <laughs> Bye.